Greetings and welcome to Dead for Filth. I'm your host, Michael Verratti, and this is the podcast for all things queer horror and beyond. On today's show, I'm excited to welcome a dynamic guest whose multifaceted talents extend across the realm of the horror genre. As the former assistant to the head of Blumhouse, she's been on hand for the creation of some of modern horror's instant classics. As a producer, she's helped launch projects for many celebrated filmmakers in the indie sphere. And as a director, she's helmed a number of acclaimed short films, including Slape Review and Marco Polo. Recently, she directed Slashed, an original musical which tore up the Los Angeles theater scene. And as of, and as of a few weeks ago, she just wrapped production on her first feature film. So please welcome to the show, Chelsea Stardust. Hi. Hi, Chelsea. Welcome to the show. Thank you for letting me invite myself onto the show. (laughs) (laughs) Should we tell that story? Maybe we should. Okay. Uh, Chelsea, I do know from the world of horror. We've worked together. Uh, She's an amazing producer. I'm excited to dig into her career today. Uh, And Chelsea has also been a very ardent listener of Dead for Filth. Big fan. Uh, And your support has bent the world. Uh, But Chelsea had a very uh, star-studded horror uh, birthday party (laughs) a couple weeks ago. And um, on a rainy night, because what better time to gather yeah. all the ghouls and goblins? Uh, and ha- at some point during the evening, Chelsea just materialized in front of me and said, I should be on Dead for Filth. And I thought, <laughs> OK, so here we are. Yep. But you're here because of the merits of the amazing things that you do. So it's not just because of, you know, a vodka tonic too many. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, gin martini. I had six. Oh. <laughs> it was a great birthday. I give you credit for keeping count. <laughs> yeah, that's the last I remember. But... Um, to me, gin is a true horror. I think it's like chewing on a Christmas tree. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of horror, why don't we kick off the show with the same first question I ask every guest. And it is simply this. Why horror? And you can interpret that however you want. What's your entry point? Why do you think horror appeals to people? But why horror? Um, I love this question. <clears throat> uh, I think for me, I always found horror to be dangerous. So when I was younger, it was sort of like that was the genre of film when I went to the library or the video rental store that I had to show an ID for. And of course, I was too young to rent a lot of those. And my parents didn't really show me horror movies until <clears throat> a little bit later in life, which I'll, which I'll talk about. But uh, it was always so dangerous. It just seemed so dangerous to me. And it was, that was a very attractive thing. I was like, I want to do something that seems like, that seems bad right. or, uh, or naughty. So, um, I and I was always attracted to looking. I'd go through and look for the you know the iconic green or red horror sticker, and I'd pull out all those um, at the time VHSs, and I would just obsess about the covers and look at them. And it would be I'd see like Child's Play or you know a Friday the Thirteenth, and I was like, oh my god, that looks so scary, but I really want to watch it. Like, ooh. Right. Um, <clears throat> and I also love the idea that that's. The, that people there are that's a one genre of cinema that some people just can't physically watch right and i think that's really interesting anyone anytime i encounter someone who says oh i can't watch horror movies um part of me thinks like well what is it personally that you can't deal with right to avoid that genre and i think fear is such an incredible emotion and something we all mm-hmm. share and um also, it's, you know, one of the few genres to experience in a theater with a crowd that sure. you're all sort of um, screaming together and laughing together and having this release together. Because I think horror is very cathartic. And at least it is for me. Right. Um, so people who can't watch horror, 
I actually feel kind of like bad for them because <laughs> I'm like, you're missing a lot of really incredible stories and sure. what you can convey through horror mo- movies um, talking about, you know, social issues, economic issues, political issues. Um, and horror addresses so many of those. And a lot of people don't realize that. Right. And um, also, I just want to be like, OK, tit up, man. And right. <laughs> watch a fucking horror movie because um, you're missing great stories. And a lot of times I'll be like, oh. So, so you, you don't, you don't watch The Shining. Right. You don't watch The Exorcist. You've never seen those movies. Oh yeah. Well, I've seen those. I was like, mm-hmm, okay. And then the butt comes in. But, yeah, but it, what yeah. I find very interesting, and I, you know, I think that we as genre enthusiasts encounter this a lot, is when those people are like, oh, I, I don't like horror movies. I always say that's categorically untrue. I know that's not true because. I think what happens when people say, I don't like horror movies, they tend to like kind of zero in on a very specific kind yes. of horror movie, like a more gore based, torture porn, saw, hostile That's kind what of film. Gonna say. And yeah. what they kind of are neglecting to mention or realize is that is a subgenre of horror. It is not all of horror. And horror is a genre. And it to me, and, and I'm just going to throw this out there to listeners who contend with this with parents, family, and friends who say, I don't like horror movies. That statement is as preposterous as if you were to say, I don't like drama. Yeah, exactly. That is a wide berth of kinds of films. If you are more into atmospheric horror, The Others is not hostile. Yes. Is not, you know, The Changeling, you know, is not A Nightmare on Elm Street. Those are all tonally different, atmospherically different, artistically different films. It's not that you don't like horror movies. You don't like a specific kind of horror movies, but I guarantee you do. Yeah, exactly. And so that <clears throat> would drive that still drives me crazy because a lot of people will say, "Oh, you made a horror movie? Like ah, that's so great. I don't know if I'll be able to watch it." But I was like, "You don't know even you don't even know anything about it. You're right. already making an assumption about something." Mm-hmm. And um, it's so close minded to be so um, against a whole genre of cinema. And I'm like, "You're missing out on incredible stories." Yeah, and um. So, uh, but for me, I have always been attracted to the horror genre. And also I think it, you know, again, being dangerous, I I always think about that and, and how I was little, I was so, you know, the things you're not allowed to do. Same thing with, I guess, like, uh, people compare, you know, which compare horror to porn so much. Yeah. Yeah. Watching porn, it's, you know, it's dangerous, like to do that. Uh, uh, it'll corrupt you. Um, (laughs) But uh, I'm far gone then. (laughs) uh, Yeah, same. So but um, that genre has always and I love all cinema, but that is the genre that has always spoken to me. Yeah, that's also interesting, too. Do you find uh, I don't think I've ever talked about this with a guest, but like because we're identified with horror and the genre, because that's where we kind of carved our niche and made our career. The people kind of forget that we actually just love movies. Because so many times when people be like, oh, they'll talk about something, you know, an Oscar contender and be like, oh, but you wouldn't be interested. And mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, you know, I studied film. Like yeah. when I was in college, I was the most obnoxious Robert Altman fan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to the degree that it's like, yes, I know Wes Craven's deep TV movie cuts. You should watch Invitation to Hell starring Susan Lucci. It's amazing. <laughs> but, I, you know, I studied like Almodovar. Yep. Robert Altman, you know, some of these amazing filmmakers that really don't come near genre. Yeah. And and <clears throat> I had seen the AFI top 100 list 
before I even went to college. Like I saw that in high school. I, right. I got my hands on that list and I went through the whole thing. And there's, I don't even know, I haven't looked at that list in so long, but I don't even know what horror movies are even on there. If it, there are any, yeah. Exorcist probably. Exorcist, maybe Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, maybe Alien. Yeah, um, probably <clears throat> a universal monster like Frankenstein. Yeah, and that'll Shining, be it. yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of people forget that. And I can try to see everything. Right. Not just horror movies. Um, but they are what, and, I, and it's it's funny because I love watching horror movies, but I have a really hard time doing haunted houses. Yeah. So when it becomes real, uh, it took me a really long time to finally be able to go to like Halloween horror nights. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like I am a really fun. I Personally, I've been told I'm a fun mo- person to go to Halloween horror nights and horror movies with because I freak the fuck out. I scream. I lose my shit. I have known to push people out of my way to get out of the house faster. Like, I'm going to fucking survive if someone right. with a chainsaw is coming after me. You know, it's so funny because I love haunted houses, but I feel like I'm the worst participant at a haunted house. I've gone <laughs> to haunted houses with mutual friends of ours, and I feel like I'm very Wednesday Adams and every <laughs> in the way that like a person will like jump out and be like, wow, and I'm just like, oh, okay. yeah, hi. and I do that. <laughs> like I don't know. It's just like foreign to me to I guess have like you know. Despite like with my my involvement in the world of entertainment and my personal life, if I go to a concert, I'm not the guy that's like woo. I'm never that person. Yeah, yeah. I like quietly enjoy it, and I'm the same at haunted houses. Like someone will ch- chase after me with a chainsaw. And I'm like that actor's working really hard. I respect them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good on you, friend. Good on you. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to cycle back. You mentioned the era of video store discovery, mm-hmm. and I think that for a generation of new horror fans who are finding movies on streaming platforms in the world of the internet. Uh, And it's, of course, easy for us to be nostalgic and be like, these were better times. (laughs) But there is something to be said about the era of of VHS when you would go to the video store, because I remember doing exactly the same thing where you'd see the cover of the movie and you'd sort of invent in your mind what the movie was before you ever watched it. Yeah. Because a lot of times the covers were better than the films. Than the films, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But... um, I think that there's something so kind of punk rock about that era because it's sort of like they made those movie covers look naughty. Yes. Because then there was a subversive element to it. And I think that really shaped like a whole generation of us. It's everything is so like they just don't make movie covers or posters like they used to like everything's so tame and so generic now like it's very rare do i see a cover of a dvd these days and be like right. oh that's some, that's awesome design it's um, more about the over under of the sales yes but like you look at something like the cover of the mutilator or gates of hell or some of those like movies yeah. from the 80s dude like the cover of gates of hell had like a rotting head like over a cityscape yeah. and you're like what is this movie <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and there was just some i i remember i remember the child's play ones or was it what's the one where he's cutting the jack in the box is that two child's play two child's play two yeah sorry jack chucky's Chucky's back back. yep yep um and then i remember like the texas chainsaw massacre two poster because i was a big john hughes fan and i'd seen the breakfast club i was like oh my gosh they're doing the breakfast club um and i remember the step the back of the stepfather um vhs which was a woman in a bloody uh wedding gown or maybe that was stepfather two oh yeah Um, stepfather two with meg foster yes yes and then the uh uh, Freddy Krueger on the back of the cover eat, swallowing um, is it Patricia Arquette from Dream yes. Warriors? Oh yeah. my gosh that I was like oh those are so scary and I couldn't watch them for a really long time when I was allowed to because I was so scared and then I saw I was like oh 
Okay. And this then is, you discover fun. <laughs> yeah, they're fun. Yeah. So let's let's delve into that. You're going to the video store. You're seeing oh, yeah. the the movies with the green horror label on it. I remember that sticker very well. Uh, and you're sort of kind of becoming entranced by the idea of it. And yeah. then you finally get kind of the, the the bravery to watch it and realize they're fun. When did you realize that? Maybe watching them wasn't enough, and this was something that you wanted to creatively be involved with. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I think it probably – so uh, I feel like I should explain where, like, my love of horror comes from because that leads to the answer of that question. Great. Let's rock into it. Yeah. So um, I, uh, like yourself, grew up in Ohio and in the Midwest, and um, my – I'm an only child, and I grew up on a farm, but not, you know – cows and pigs and horses. I grew up on a sled dog racing farm. So my my parents... Did, um, I did not know that, and I'm fascinated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my parents had... Uh, they were both artists, fine artists. My dad's a painter, and my mom is a painter and also a sculptor mm -hmm. um, and an art teacher. And so they also raised sled dogs. That was a hobby of theirs. So I was raised with tons of animals and... Um, we had like 30 dogs, and I raced sled dogs up until I was 16 myself. Um, but... They, because they were artists, they, uh, and my dad had gone to film school as an undergraduate with David Lynch at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. So he what? was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he was a big uh, film nerd too. Right. Um, and had made, you know, short films and things like that. And so my, but my parents were also very social people. Mm -hmm. So as far back as I can remember, um, they had parties. My parents know how to throw a fucking party. Um, Something that they handed down to their daughter. <laughs> yes, they definitely did. So um, they would have a huge Halloween party every year. They would do a Caribbean party in like February in the snow of Ohio. And then they would do a Halloween party. And the Halloween party was pretty epic. Um, and they, my dad would always do his own makeup and they'd find weird costumes. Like he did a dead cat one year and a heretic burned at the stake. And my mom did a victim of the plague and like a mummy and, but, but an Egyptian mummy, like really out there costumes. And if you look on my fridge, you will see pictures of this. Um, but so Halloween was like the greatest time of like fall also autumn in Ohio is one of the greatest times of it's year beautiful. but oh, yeah. it's nothing compares to that but um we also my dad grew an organic garden so we grew pumpkins and the night before the party when I was old enough we would pick pumpkins and then we'd carve them on like the Friday night before and watch the show Big Chuck and Little John uh and they would yeah 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 I remember Big Cleveland, Chuck and Little Cleveland John. cut um and they would always show horror movies. And so that was my chance. We'd like lay out newspaper on the living room floor and carve these pumpkins. I'd clean them. My dad would carve them because he would do these super elaborate designs. Um, and then the party was the next day. And I would pull the decorations out for Halloween in like September because I was so excited for October to come. And of course, you're talking like handmade Halloween decorations like the garbage bag with the ghost face on it hung right. from trees like all that stuff and playing scary sound tapes and all that stuff but it was huge and like everyone had to dress up and then um as i you know it was an adult party but then as i got older like my friends could come when my parents friends had kids and became a kids were in the the studio and the adults were in the in the house and uh i think that is what you know, and hearing Halloween folklore and all that stuff. And I was obsessed with It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. So my um, 
parents used to have me write letters to the Great Pumpkin. Aww. And then on ha- on the actual date of Halloween, there'd be a trail of jack-o'-lanterns to the pumpkin patch, and there'd be like presents from the Great Pumpkin. This is adorable. Yeah, this is yeah. my childhood. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really spoiled. A spoiled only child. But um, it was magical. In and And then I think... I started getting into, um, I think it was books that originally got me, like Goosebumps and Mm -hmm. Banicula and Fear Street and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Can we put a pin in this just for a second to talk about Banicula? Because (laughs) I never thought in the history of Dead for Filth we would bring this up. But for for (laughs) listeners who don't know, Banicula is a children's novel written by a author named James Howe who uh, wrote a series of books about a rabbit who was also a vampire and the house dog and cat know that this pet bunny at night is sneaking out and using its vampire fangs to drain the color out of vegetables. Vegetables, yeah. And um, I remember being like, oh my God, Dracula's pet bunny, Benicula. Uh And it was just like, those books were great. And some of the subsequent sequels had like the best titles. Celery Stalks at Midnight. The Celery Stalks at Midnight is one of my favorite. I think (laughs) that book... Uh, combine my love of horror titles with punnery. Yeah, yeah. Which, because, like, how many times have I come to you? I'm like, Chelsea, we're going to make this movie, and it's blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> and it's always some nonsense title. It begins with the celery stalks at midnight. So amazing. And I think it was like Benicula Strikes Again, maybe, was another yeah. one. Um, I read those books obsessively. Oh, I loved them so much. Um, and then I've since gifted copies to my friends when they have children. Oh my god, I love it. Well, anyway, I didn't mean to derail, no, no. but like, whenever am I going to get to talk about Benicula on this show? Uh, it's so underrated. I love those books. Um, so I think it started with horror literature. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, because my parents were so into Halloween, um, I my dad would always show, leading up to our Halloween party, the Universal monster movies, of right. course. So I um, my favorite was Dracula and also the Wolfman and Bride of Frankenstein, Frankenstein, Creature from the Black Lagoon, um, Invisible Man. But Dracula is the one that yeah. always resonated the most with me. Um, and uh, and Wolfman I liked. But then I saw Abbott and Costello meet mm. Frankenstein. And I was like, fuck, this is amazing. <laughs> um, and then from there, it just sort of evolved. But I think my dad was sort of not necessarily a, a horror fan, but. He was very much into classic cinema. Right. So not only was she, he showing me like Jules Ajim and La Belle et La Bette um, and Taxi Driver and stuff like that. But then he, when I was 10, he pulls out this, this VHS from his collection and he said, listen, this is really scary. And if you want to turn it off, we can. But, you know, I think you might dig it. And uh, it was George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Wow. And he puts it on and the beginning starts. I'm like, I think, yeah, I think this is pretty, pretty scary. Like, I don't, I don't know if I can watch this. He's like, no, you're fine. It's day, it's daylight out. You're fine. It's okay. Right. And he sort of coached me through it. And then after it was over, I was like, oh my gosh, this movie, what is this? And then I showed it to my babysitter um, because, and she had never seen it. And that was a really mean thing to do, but I was uh, so obsessed with it. And I think that after seeing that, I was like, I want to see more movies like this. Yeah. Um, And I remember being at a New Year's party with my parents and I was the only kid there. And it was one of those houses that had a finished basement and the homeowner is like hey here's our movie collection like help yourself to whatever you want I think I was like maybe 12 and he's like oh 
you like movies. You should watch this movie. And he put in John Carpenter's The Thing. Wow. And I got... I like that people are just leading you to these classics. Just, yeah. Right? yeah. And I got to the dog transformation of the when the husky... And of course, I had sled dogs. So to see a hus- that happening to a husky, I was like, I can't watch this. And I turned it off. And I didn't come back to that movie until maybe 10 years later. Um, but starting with... Um, Night of the Living Dead that my dad showed me all of a sudden I was like I want to see more of these right and so I worked at our local library um, and I would spend hours like I would shelve the videos really slowly so I could look at all the movies and keep my eye on those like those green stickers right um, and then I I started like in high school I um, took a continuing education film class at the Cleveland Institute of Art with uh, a Cleveland filmmaker named Robert Banks oh cool and he was pretty much my big introduction to to broader horror. Um, and we made movies on Super 8 film and we cut and spliced them. And he's an experimental filmmaker. So uh, we were like, you know, writing things on film and making little horror movies and all this stuff. And when the class was over, um, he gave me a stack because I would talk about horror movies. He was like, this is what I've seen. He's like, what else have you seen? And I couldn't really give an answer to many, many other movies. And so he gave me this huge stack of VHS tapes recorded, uh, (laughs) like dubbed. Um, And it was Martin, The Hills Have Eyes. And these are all like the OGs. The Hills Have Eyes, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and God Told Me To. Oh, so a deep cut. Yeah, quite a crazy assortment. And then I started by this point, I was like 16, 17 and I would go to like the local video store and then start renting everything I could get my hands on. Right. And I would watch it like when my parents weren't home because and I'd have the volume really low when they were home. So they wouldn't know what I was watching um, because some of them I was like, my parents would never be OK with me watching this, <laughs> even though they were like you know, pretty open to everything. Um, or I'd have a sleepover with my best friend, Sadie, and we would rent tons of horror movies and we'd be right up next to the television because everyone was asleep and we didn't want anyone to like hear the screaming coming out of the TV. Um, God, I'm old. Cause and- I remember doing that with Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. <laughs> Bill and Ted. Yeah. We like kept the sound That's off amazing. because we were afraid, like we were at a sleepover and we were afraid like my friend's dad was going to be like, why are you guys watching this garbage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, by the time I was in high school and I I knew I wanted to be a director after seeing all these movies and because I watch movies every day, like, you know, we'd rent, you know, it'd be the weekend and we rent five movies and we'd sit down as a family and we were always watching movies um, every night and talking about them and having a dialogue about them and talking about how they were made. Right. And I remember watching Siskel and Ebert when they would do their reviews on TV and on the news station or whatever. And... Uh, I was like, I want to make movies. And Mm -hmm. then I ended up going to college uh, at Ohio University in the film school. And I was the only person who wanted to make horror movies. That happens a lot in film school, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because they want you to make, like, French New Wave cinema. Yeah. Where Patrice stares out the window and longs for the life that she never had. In black and white. In black and white. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I can see that, like, just hanging out at my house. Yeah. No, yeah. ca- no camera required. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so that was a little challenging. Um, and I did really weird movies in college. And I remember a, there was a professor when I was a junior. No, maybe I was a sophomore. And she said to me, maybe you should think about doing something else. Right. And that really that uh, I will never forget that professor saying that because it's nothing like someone telling you you can't do this. That makes you want to do it even more. Of course. Um, yeah. I had those professors. Ha ha. Yeah. And 
and you know that's something where I she was the only one who said that and uh, it was a real bummer to hear it and so basically I was like fuck you I'm right. gonna work even harder for this now um, but I did like a zombie music video I did um, a documentary on a musician I my senior thesis was really fucking weird like I don't think I think they're still recovering from that that movie it was like 20 minutes and I shot it on film um and it's basically it's called under the bleachers and it's not horror but it was like my homage to John Waters Mm -hmm. and Todd Solins and Larry Clark and like so um it it's basically about this uh artist this teenager who um huffs used tampons for inspiration so he gets high huffing tampons and uh, makes art and he meets a girl who collects used condoms and uh, it's a match made in heaven and then they end up collaborating together as a couple and make uh, the and start the bodily fluid movement in the art world I mean there's someone <laughs> for everyone and I think that's what we're, we're learning about from under the bleachers yeah. it's a social statement <laughs> yeah, super. Uh, it was super intense. And uh, but you know what? Like all my actors were down for it because I was like, listen, if I'm going to do something really fucking crazy, college is the chance to do it. Yeah, because I'll never be able to make something like this in the real world. Um, and I was actually really proud of that that little movie. Um, and uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh, thinking about it. Have you, when was the last time you saw it? Um. Maybe five years ago. Uh, it, it is on the interwebs, but it's very hard to find. Um, uh, but after, you know, making that, I was like, okay, that was my chance to do this. But um, I just always wanted to do horror movies. I just, right. But it was hard to, not everyone wanted to make those. I was like, okay, well, you're okay with making this kind of crazy movie, right. but horror. And, I, and I'm still friends with the actors from that my thesis and I thank them all the time like thank you for being in my weird shit I really appreciate (laughs) it um but then uh when I was in after I finished my or right before I finished my senior thesis I had interned out here right um for Heyday Films which is the hair the Harry Potter company so they were shooting all the Harry Potter movies at the time um and then I went back and finished my thesis and uh right after I graduated a woman who I interned for uh, had moved companies and worked for Ivan Reitman at Montecito Picture Company. And she's like, I need an assistant. Do you want to come work for me? Right. And I was like, yes. I, I packed up my life, bought a car, and moved to California in like five days after graduating college. So I, love I had that. no break or anything. And I had never, like in college, they don't, in film school, they don't teach you anything about being an assistant. They don't teach you what CAA is. They don't teach you what Variety is. They don't teach you what the Hollywood Reporter is or, um, about big agencies. They don't even really teach you development that much or how to give script notes or things like that. And so I was thrust into this world. I was like, oh my God, this is intense. Uh, And she was so patient with me, but I worked for her for about two years. And then I had an opportunity to go work for Judd Apatow. And I went to work for him for two years during Get Him to the Greek and Funny People and Bridesmaids. But I was working in comedy and that just wasn't where my heart was. Right. I was like, I miss horror. I was still going to see horror movies, but it just was like, not for me. Right. Um, and then I ended up, uh, after that job, I had a friend reach out to me and say, Hey, my friend's an assistant to this producer and, uh, she's getting promoted to a creative executive. Are you 
do you want to maybe like interview for the job? I know you like horror movies. I said, oh, yeah, sure. Who is it? And she says, it's this guy named Jason Blum. And I was like, Jason Blum, who's that? And I looked him up and he had like one credit and it was Paranormal Activity. And I thought, oh, I really liked that movie. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll interview. I'll interview with him. And I, I met him. I met the assistant and I met him. And I was like, I live and breathe this genre. I would love, love to come work for you. And he said, come to this screening. Bring a couple friends and then we'll talk afterwards. So, OK. So I go to Sony and I'm in this teeny tiny theater. Uh, Rob Zombie's sitting behind me. And uh, I bring a couple friends with me. And this movie starts playing and it's very sort of atmospheric. And then this score kicks in and it's insidious. Wow. And um, it scared the shit out of me. And after I got out of the movie, I thought this is going to make a huge difference in the in the horror world. Like and and so I, I talked to Jason afterwards and I said, listen, like I if you'll have me, I'd love this job. And he said, well, let's do it. Here's 15 scripts to read over your holiday break. It was in December. And I started um, in January 2011. And then Insidious came out that April. And everything obviously changed for that company. So, um, And when I started working there, there were three of us. It was me and Jason and his his creative executive. And in this teeny tiny office on the Paramount lot. And then obviously it grew and grew and grew and grew. And uh, I was I was assistant. I was his, you know, executive assistant for four years. So and in that time, you were around for the creation of why don't you list them up? They're going to they're gonna hear. <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah. Um, so it uh, the birth of all the huge franchises. So Insidious and Sinister and The Purge and all the subsequent sequel sequels, Dark Skies, Whiplash, um, Town the Dreaded the Sundown, my personal favorite that sometimes gets a bad rap, but I think it's awesome. It's great. Um, Starring previous Dead for Filth guest, Veronica Cartwright. That's right. Um, and uh, uh, the, li- uh, the list goes on and on. There's a ton. And obviously like Split and... Um, Get, uh, get out yeah uh, oscar winning get out um and this but, must have been as a horror fan like nirvana for you <laughs> it was pretty fucking awesome um it and i think i and well also i left um because i'd worked there four years i left at the end of 2014 so it was right before whiplash went to the oscars right so everything in there i was i was there for um and I met it's so weird when you meet all these people that you idolize when you're right. when you're younger and not um, everyone at the company was like as big of a horror fan right. as me. Like I was probably the biggest lover of the genre. And Jason also he's a big Hitchcock fan and I'm a huge Hitchcock fan. I have a Hitchcock tattoo on my back. Mm-hmm. So um, we bonded over that and, and classic horror. Uh, but I got to meet so many people that was pretty amazing. And I was like playing it cool, you know, trying not to fangirl out too much. Um, But he just became this empire and really cracked the code of like making horror movies on a budget and then having them gross a crazy amount of money. And it was very smart. Um, That model is, is one that no one else has really seemed to recreate. Um, But after, you know, and I gave him like eight months warning that I was leaving because I think he was like had a little separation anxiety because I'd, I'd been with him since it was like a teeny tiny company. Right. Um, 
And uh, he was so wonderful to work for. And I was very lucky to work at a company that really cared about its employees. And um, but he's like, you sh- I know you. He knew I wanted to direct. I was very clear from the beginning that I never wanted to be in an office or a director development or anything like that. Right. And I said, I want to direct. And finally, um, when I quit, he's like, you should go work for Crypt TV. Right. And so that led and I hadn't made anything of my own. Right. Since college, maybe. Or I, I did one short film and I was working at, at Blumhouse called uh, Where Are You? Which mm-hmm. is it's the great pumpkin. Charlie Brown meets Jonestown. Um, so I made that while I was there. And I also produced a feature um, while I was working there as well. But it was uh, my own stuff was sort of put by the wayside. Because, right. You know, I had to take care of somebody else to make sure they could run their own life. Um but he hooked me up with Crypt TV, and then I started directing right. short films and everything. Now, you know, obviously there's the connection from being, like, in, involved in a round for the creation of these, these uh, contemporary classics. But what did you take from your years at Blumhouse that helped you prepare for your next step as a director? Yeah, so... Um the best part was working there was I got to see everything from start to finish. Mm-hmm. So learning how scripts were developed and I got to be on set for tons of movies. I got to see directors make huge mistakes on sets of movies. And so I was just trying to learn as much as possible. Um, and then the post-production process and then the notes process on a cut of a movie when you're getting notes from a studio and a production company. And but also the director's getting first cut and things like that. And, and, you know, hearing what executives have to say, like I was privy to a lot of information. It was really fascinating. Right. And I definitely use all that stuff now. Right. Um, and I think honestly, like working there, I feel like maybe if I wouldn't have worked there, I don't know if I would have been as prepared to direct my future right. without that experience. And then, you know, after shooting my own shorts, I assisted other directors. Mm-hmm. I think it took, all of that because I had people ask me like I tried to make a movie a couple years ago and um, I was like I don't know if I'm ready to do this yet right and I know a lot of times they're like no just go shoot just go shoot and but I was like I want to learn more I want to be really prepared and really organized right Um, and basically I was like I don't want to fuck up the first time (laughs) right so um, and then obviously like doing the short films was really helpful and and your short films got a lot of attention. I mean, like I remember when they dropped on Crypt, there oh, yeah. was a lot of love and a lot of celebration and articles. And uh, what was that like, you know, out of the gate to see that like people, people had been sort of waiting for you? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because I because I worked there for so long. They're like, well, when are you going to make something? Right. When are you? And uh, Crypt TV, like it was really I'm really thankful for getting that opportunity because right. Um, when you make short films, you don't make any money from them. Right. And the first short I had done, I paid for it myself. And I said, I don't want to have to do that again. Right. Um, cause I'm never going to make that money back. So Crypt TV actually paid me to direct, which was amazing. They're one of the very few companies that actually like pays their directors. Right. Uh, it's not much cause the budgets are really small, but you get something and your crew right. gets paid. Um, and the first one I did under the bed was with Mashable. And, uh, you know, I got that script. I was basically a director for hire. Right. And that got a lot of attention. I think we had a million views on that one. And then I kept every so many months I kept doing them. So um, Project Hope we did as a Christmas one. And that was uh, that was um, uh, we shot that 
my God, I can't, I honestly can't even remember the dates that came after though. And then Marco Polo obviously mm-hmm. was a big one. Um, and that was written by Emily Haggins and, uh, and then Slay Purview, uh, was another really fun one. And that had, we did that with 451 Media Group, which is Michael Bay's digital company. And that had, I think I just, I actually just checked it the other day and it almost has 3 million views. That's amazing. So yeah. And it's, but that stuff's so hard because it's all like, you have to hit a certain number of views for them to keep it up. And it's all about the numbers and it's like, and, and they're all very scare heavy and scare forward. Like they right. want to see a shot of blood at the very beginning and things like that. So, cause that's part of their brand. Right. Um, and uh, so after making all those shorts and then I did a couple other short films, um, what I there's another one I just did that's still in post-production. But from there, um, I was also assisting directors. Right. So I assisted um, a commercial director, Carl Eric Rinch, on uh, a few commercials because I, I knew nothing about that. Like, I'd right. only worked in features. And uh, then I assisted David Strayton, um, who is a TV uh, director on that show Blood Drive that was on Sci-Fi. Oh yeah, I loved that show. Yeah, so I worked on I worked on that in in pre-pro a little bit, um, and again didn't know much about TV, hadn't seen a writers' room, like you know hadn't experienced that stuff. Did that scare you the first time you saw it? Because writers' rooms can be insane. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, yeah it, it yeah. everyone was really nice. The the job there that scared me the most was the the assistant who has to write down everything being said. I don't begrudge writer's rooms assistants because having worked in writer's rooms, uh, whenever people ask me about the difference between TV and film, I mean, like when we sit to finally do our writing, it's pretty much the same. You know your arc, you know your characters, you know the story that you want to tell. But the writer's room, as opposed to writing a feature, you kind of write a feature on your own, you break the story on your own, but you have to work with the crew. In those first few days, it's like the Velociraptor cage at Jurassic Park. Like everyone (laughs) creatively just like, ah! Yeah. (laughs) And that poor assistant like crying in the corner yeah <laughs> typing like crazy and yeah, then yeah. and then having to like organize those it was crazy um and then i was uh i i, I got the job of assisting um adam robitel on insidious Four: the last key and that was that is honestly like what prepared me the most for directing my feature right. and i am forever thankful to to blumhouse and to adam for letting me go along on that journey Um, Because I was assisting him from prep all the way through production. And then in post, obviously, I was like, you don't need me for post. But um, that was incredible. And it was more of a shadowing experience. It Mm -hmm. wasn't like, go get my dry cleaning and and bullshit personal assistant stuff. Uh, I would have done it for Adam because he's amazing. But uh, that was an incredible experience. And watching him work with actors and work with his DP. And and also, you're talking like a, a bigger budget movie for horror and these days. And... Um, to see him and how he worked was so invaluable to me. And I definitely like took all of that and sort of applied it to my, my own, my own movie. Um, and also the relationships we made like that, that was kind of a magical experience because everyone on that movie was, was great. Like our crew was awesome. The cast was awesome. I became close friends with everybody. Um, especially Lynn Shay, who I call mama Lynn, um, who's an absolutely incredible human being. But like Adam really armed me with the tools I needed to uh, to make my movie. And so I'm super thankful for that. Um, And uh, yeah, so that was sort of I think that was my last like real employment. (laughs) What I love about the journey up until the creation of your feature film, which we're about to talk about. Yeah. Is that though you studied film in college, it seems like your real education in film was 
making them and being on the set of them and and learning from people on the ground. Yeah. Uh, And that's what I think is really amazing and invaluable is like you kind of got to be front row and center. Yeah. For pop culture history. Yeah. And I and I got to be on pretty much every Blumhouse, every set I was on that was shot, you know, almost everything shot in L.A. So even if it was just one day and and watching how all directors work differently, that's the best education you can have. Film school is like, for me, they, you, you know, here's how you load a Bolex. Here's how you light. Here's, you know, the, right. the edit using Avid. I'm, you know, I got to learn how to do that. But because right. um, you should know how every role on a set works and you should know what it's like to, to do those. But right. Um, and, you know, I even d- took theater classes, so I knew how to communicate with actors. But right. nothing is like being on a set and like For that sure. education. So, um but then I also wanted to, you know, do things. And let me clarify that I hadn't made a feature yet. And right. and it was really hard because so this is 2018. So I've been in this will be my 11th year in Los Angeles. And it's taken me 10 and a half years to get a feature, feature. film made, right. which is uh, crazy to think about. But um, and I there's nothing that I wanted more in my life than to make a, a movie to make a feature. Right. And, uh, and I, but I never, it was really hard. I never lost hope, but it was really fucking hard to not lose hope. Right. Um, but instead I was like, listen, if, if I can't make that happen right now, cause you can only do so much willing into the universe. Like someone has to come to you with a checkbook and say, right. I, I believe in you. I trust you to make, like make a movie with this money. So I was like, I want to do other things. So I I had a friend approach me about Slash the Musical. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, Clark Wolf came to me and said, I want to do something with Hollywood Fringe Fest, Uh, something horror. You know, what do you think? And my uh, handsome lover, Sean Keller, had a uh, had written a horror musical, like one an outline. Right. And uh, he said, we should. He said, oh, I have this horror musical that's, you know that I would love to make. And then simultaneously Clark was like, do you want to make something in the horror space? I said, I have just the thing. And without even Sean Keller's consent, I sent it to Clark and it's like, do you want to make Slashed the musical? And I said, oh, Sean, like, we're going to make this. He's like, oh, you are? I was like, yeah, will you write it for us? So he got like... Luckily that worked out. That worked out really <laughs> yeah. well. Uh, Friday the 13th meets Wet Hot American Summer as a all original music, which Sean like wrote and wrote, wrote the script, wrote the music, composed the music, recorded the songs. We had an incredible cast. It was amazing. I went and saw it when it played Fringe Fest, and yeah. the music's fun, the show's fun. What I think is really remarkable, too, and of course our listeners, uh, they're shockingly to none, also tend to love musicals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but what I think is remarkable is you developed and mounted a production of Slashed in tandem with the create, like the preparation and creation of your first feature film. It's sort of like when Chelsea Stardust goes in, she goes hard. Like that's like, this must have been like a crazy last 12 months for you. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, I, guess I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. Uh, totally. Um, and I had never, Slash was kind of a different monster because I had come off of doing all these short films and uh, theater is a whole other beast. Yeah. What was it like for you <laughs> directing a short film where you can kind of have like that measured approach to directing because it's on set. You have to wait for camera setups. Theater's not like that. What, no. Was it a, a, a more stressful? Like, how did you? Yeah, I think. Well, I was so I love theater, like my favorite 
you know, shows would be Cabaret, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Rocky Horror Picture Show, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, That's where, you know, my heart is. And I did theater all in high school. But directing theater is intense. And it's so different because um, as a director, you have have a lot of control. You have all the control. Theater, you have no control. Basically, you have control up up until... it's time for it's showtime and right. your actors, you just trust that your actors are, you can't stop and redo anything. Right. So like, hope everyone knows their lines. Hope everyone knows where the props are. Hope everything. <laughs> and, and sure enough, like, and it was, you know, that, that musical is only like a 40 minute musical is really quick. And a lot of people wanted more. They're like, we wish it was longer. Uh, great problems to have. But, um, my cast was really incredible, but was, what was hard was letting go. It was right. really hard to relinquish control and um and also because sean was in the show and also my boyfriend and we lived together it was literally slashed was all that was talked about for for months and finally i was like we we gotta stop like we can't talk about slashed in bed like it's really killing my boner like you (laughs) we we just in bed let's not talk about slash right um and because sean had come from a musical background he was roger and rent in the first broadway tour he was buddy holly in the buddy holly story so on that um broadway tour so he had big theater experience, but he didn't want to direct it. He wanted to be in it. And so I directed it. So we had some ideas a clashing occasionally. Um, and I was I ended up being right most of the time. Um, but that was an incredible experience. There were, there's talks of potentially remounting it mm-hmm. in a different venue, in a bigger venue. Um, but that's something that would have to come next year because I wasn't able to do it this year. Right. Um, so yeah, so I was doing that and then I was also working on a radio play, which came out last year. Right. Yeah. Let's, I forgot to bring that up. Tell us a little bit about that. So I am a huge fan of earbud theater. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they do these really short, like 15 to 30 minute radio plays. And, uh, it's so, so think of like Orson Welles, War of the Worlds, something like that. Um, and I asked them, I literally was like, I asked my friend Jared, I said, Hey, you do these radio plays, uh, I want to do one. Like, what's the process? And he introduced me to Casey Wolf over at at Earbud. And I had, but I wanted to do something a little bit different. I had a feature script called Christmas Eve, which is written by Sean Stewart. And it's basically um, Silent Night, Deadly Night meets Mad Men. Right. So it's set in 1959 in an office building in New York City. And there's a slasher on the loose, the Hark Hark Angel Killer. Right. And, uh, but... We had so we adapted that feature script to radio format instead of film format because you have to say a lot of things on of radio. Course. You can't just yeah, yeah. like <laughs> you have to adapt it for for a listener as opposed to a viewer. Um, and we had a huge cast. I think there were like twenty seven different roles. So um, I think we had sixteen people or something more than Earbuds ever done. And they right. broke it up into two parts and it released over Christmas um, last year and. Uh, I think it got like the most plays of any of their pieces, which was really cool uh, and a huge undertaking. Again, something else I hadn't done before. Right. Um, I like that about you. You're like, well, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. And and it was so fun. And uh, I was really proud of it. I was so, so proud of it. And I had, my sound designer was incredible because he like built the whole thing from scratch because mm-hmm. it's a radio play. Um, and uh, uh, And so, again, while that's releasing, I'm like, prepping my feature right 
<laughs> so you've got the musical, which is a hit at Fringe Fest. You do this hit uh, radio play with Earbud Theater, and then the feature happens. The feature that you have been waiting your whole life, but 11 years in L.A. to make. Tell me about the feature as much as you can, yeah. obviously, since it's in post-production now. Yeah. Because I, I know you uh, as a producer and, and director, and I know that scripts come your way all the time. Yeah. So how did you know when, when you read this? And Sean, Sean, your man, he wrote this one. <laughs> yeah. But how did you know when this script landed on your desk that you're like, this is the one? You know, I, yeah, so, so uh, yeah, I read a ton of scripts and I'm attached to a ton of projects with all different writers because I am not a writer. I just, I love working with writers, but writing right. is not one of my skills and I understand that and respect that and I love collaborating with writers. Um, but this, the, so my movie, which is called All That We Destroy, um, and it's science fiction horror. It's not, it's not horror, like normal, what we normally think of as horror. Um, but it's, uh, very similar to like Black Mirror. And I sort of pitch it as Ex Machina meets We Need to Talk About Kevin in a Black oh. Mirror world. So it's, uh, and I read this script. So Sean Keller and Jim and his writing partner, Jim Agnew, wrote it for me to direct specifically. Right. So I read the script, um, gave notes on it. We talked about it. And uh, basically, I uh, showed it to a friend and they, um, why well, I, I was pitching it to a friend, I was just talking about projects I'm working on. And I said, oh, and this one. And at the time, we might, we had some fi- financiers interested in it. Right. And for a very, very small budget. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, and then I might be shooting this thing. And I pitched it to him. He's like, oh, what? what's that? And I said, oh, you know, someone else is already interested in it. He's like, yeah, no, I... I I think I think that's the movie that you should make. Right. And um I it ended up uh going to a production company that uh read it and loved it and basically was like we want to make this. Awesome. And so it was I think the script was purchased and then we went into pre-production and originally we were supposed to shoot in Texas, but then we decided to shoot in Los Angeles, which I'm so happy we did. Um and it was a whirlwind. Like, I think after the new year, like we were really prepping it come January. Right. And our first day of shooting was January 29th. And it was a 15 day shoot. And it was really intense. It was really hard to shoot a movie in 15 days. Like yeah. I, I and I have friends that shoot movie in, movies in 12 days. And I just think that like that is such a hard, you know, it's hard because it's such a hard thing to ask a filmmaker is like, you, you know, we want you to make your movie and it, we want it to be your vision, but you got to do it in 15 days. Right. So you basically get. A maximum of four takes of everything. Right. Two to get the camera right. And then, you know, by the third and fourth take, your actors are totally on point. So, um, but I got really lucky with this movie in terms of uh, my cast, uh, which is incredible. So it's uh, Israel Broussard from Happy Death Day. Mm-hmm. Um, Aurora Paranow, who I knew from when I worked at Blumhouse, she was in Gem and the Holograms. Um, Dora Madison from Friday Night Lights and Dexter, Samantha Mathis from Motherfucking Pump Up the Volume, and, uh, and who's also on The Strain, and uh, Love of My Life, Frank Whaley, who I think is such an incredible You got your John Hughes director. moment. I, yeah, yeah, totally. I totally did. Um, and uh, yeah, I love Frank Whaley. Um, and so... I was able to make this movie in 15 days because my actors are so incredible and right. my crew was incredible. I got to work like my DP, Mark Evans has shot everything I've ever done pretty much um, here in Los Angeles. And I went to college with him. Mm-hmm. And so I've known him for like 15 years and right. we 
and he's made all these features or all these short films with me for free. Right. <laughs> and finally, you know, I was we were able to make a, a feature film together and it took a long time and he was so patient. Um, but we fucking prepped the shit out of this movie, like knowing we had 15 days. Right. There's like no time to waste. So right. we. Uh, we shot listed and storyboarded the movie and we used these little models. So we basically shot the whole movie with these little figurines. Um, so that I, they did something similar with Black Panther. They, they shot that with these little models too, like before as part of pre-production. And, uh, and that helped us because then when we were on set, like all the department heads got copies of the shot list and the storyboards and we were just able to like, go, 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 go. That's awesome. Um, I love how prepared you are. I had to be. And also that comes from an assistant, like disciplined, organized, super fucking type A. Um, right. And, but we, I never would have been able to do the movie like without being so prepared and, um, making our days and not going into OT. And we shot every single scene of the movie because sometimes when you're shooting and you fall behind or whatever, you have to lose a scene here and there. Right. We shot every fucking scene. Rock. Um, yeah. And now we're in post and I, I just delivered my director's cut to the production company and they gave me some notes. And now I'm addressing those notes and the financiers see it next week. And, um, How and exciting. then we go from there. I'm so proud of it. Like, you know, and we're clocking in at like an hour, 34 minutes. So it's feeling really good in the right. runtime because sometimes you're like, oh, it's 79 minutes or it's two hours and 40 minutes. Right. Like, <laughs> so because you had waited so long to make a feature, tell me about the first day on yeah. set. Oh, yeah. And tell me about the last day on set. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Those are great uh, things to talk about. OK, so um, the first day uh was actually a Sunday um, and we shot in downtown LA and it was actually a really kind of chill day what we had scheduled and we had mm-hmm. an art gallery scene um, and a scene with a little girl whose head gets bashed in and you know it's a crane shot with blood um, so uh, that that was pretty much the first day and um, and I had the gallery scene I needed extras. So I got uh, all my friends and a, a bunch of, I think we had like 20, 20 people. And the best thing was on my first day of making a movie to have like all, like a bunch of really close friends there right. who came out for free to be extras and be to be back background essentially for the movie. Um, and I, I did a little, you know, right before we started shooting, we did the safety meeting in front of the crew and I, and I wanted to say a couple words. So after the AD was like, okay, here's where we are, you know, don't don't fuck around. We're making right. this movie. We have <laughs> a very limited time. I basically told everybody, you know, I was really happy that they were on this journey with me. I had some crew that I had worked on all my shorts with there, too, that were able to come on this journey with me. But I told everyone I was like, it's taken me ten and a half years to get here. Like right. it's taken me this long to get a movie made. and the the thing I said to everybody was, the most important thing for me on this set is, to remember, and this is from, uh, if anyone's a Patton Oswalt fan from his uh, stand-up, but it's chaos, be kind. So I said, everything, film sets are crazy, but I implore all of you to be nice to each other and be right. kind to each other because I do not tolerate assholeism. Um, so, and everyone was like, on board. I said, I just, kindness is so important. And right. we're in an industry that's super shitty to each other. And I am not, that's not my vibe. So... And from there, it would, we were a total family. Like I love that. And it was really uh, wonderful. Like, everyone on the crew was wonderful. And 
the last day of shooting, and the first day of shooting went great, finished on time and everything. Um, and the last day of shooting, we were shooting in Franklin Canyon, and it was um, Samantha Mathis and Frank Whaley. And Frank only had one day of shooting um, for his scenes. And it was a challenging day because the downside of shooting in Los Angeles is it's really loud. Yeah. So we had planes and we had cars and Mulholland, or not Mulholland, uh, Coldwater was having construction. So all the ca- cars are being rerouted through Franklin. It was There were noises everywhere. Right. Um, bless my... Uh, sound girl Kara who uh, made my sound still everything sounds beautiful in in post (laughs) but um, we actually wrapped an hour early because we got everything and uh, I you know said you know told Samantha I was was sort of like you know when you see someone like that in Pump Up the Volume and American Psycho and also like Little Women for me like I was a big fan of hers and to have her in my movie was so uh, surreal I had I had her sign my my pump up the volume DVD for Aww. Sean too because he like loves that movie. Forever um, a fan. Yeah, and I shared. So after we wrapped, I pulled Frank Whaley aside and I said, "Listen, like I just want to thank you for doing this movie because he was um, like my first choice for that role, and I actually got him, so I was really excited about that." But um, I said, "I need to share a little story with you." Uh, when I was a little girl. Uh, my dad showed me this movie called Field of Dreams. And there's a moment in that movie where Frank Whaley's character gets into the Volkswagen bus with James Earl Jones and right. Kevin Costner. And he says, I'm Archie Graham. And when he introduces himself to them, and I said to Frank, I said, that moment when I was younger, how that moment made me feel when I was watching the movie is one of the moments that made me realize I want to make movies because how I felt emotionally, I want to make people feel that like that's sort of how I felt. And he's like, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. (laughs) So he signed, so I asked for him to sign my field of dreams DVD, which is one of my favorite movies. And he signed it. He's like, to Chelsea, you built it. It came your biggest fan, Frank, Frank Whaley. Oh my God. And I cried. (laughs) What a good last day. Great last day. And I, I, you know, said bye to everybody. Um, and I, Sean and his son, Clay, who came to set, they got in the car. He said, I just need like five minutes. So I walked up on this hill in Franklin Canyon and I just, uh, I was so overwhelmed emotionally. Um, I did a little, uh, Instagram video and I never do that. I'm like a behind the camera girl. I do not do front of the camera stuff but I did a quick video about how I I I was like I don't ever want to forget what this moment is like I need to record it I just recorded like I just wrapped my first feature you know and I feel amazing and I'm really happy and then we get home and we're gonna go out to dinner and do all this celebrating I told Sean go pick up some sushi I need to take a bath and I went upstairs and I sat in the bathroom and cried like I cried and cried and cried but like happy tears I happy tears good good Totally. Even talking about it like is making me a little uh, emotional. But um, and I cried because I thought this is the first like not only it's it's the only time you get to make this is my first movie. There will never be another first movie again. But also I thought now no one can say to me, well, come back when you've shot a movie. Right. Because so many meetings I would go to, no one wanted to give me the chance. Right. No one wanted to, you know, say, yeah, you know, we'll take a leap on a first time direct feature director. Right. We'll do that. No one would do that. And so now no one can ever say that to me again. Like, right. go go make a movie and then we'll talk. And I was so it was like a huge weight had been lifted off of right. me because I did it. And I felt confident about the footage, even though we shot it in fucking 15 days. And I just cried. I just it was like. 
I've released so much and years and years of like almost making a feature and then not. Right. Um, and it felt uh, <laughs> it felt really good. Well, and the reason I wanted to, you to talk about the first and the last day and about the journey itself uh, is because I, I want listeners to hear your story and really ultimately across the run of Dead for Filth, hear all of these stories and realize that your dreams are possible. Yeah. And your dreams can happen. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a journey to get there, though, but you have to be willing to take the journey. Yeah. And, and you did. I did. Yeah, I did. And 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 it's really hard to, like, you know, leave home like you did it. I did it like to right. uproot yourself and move to a whole new city and pursue something that like I think about, you know, people I went to high school with and what some people wanted to do and then never ended up doing. And that to me is like, you know, a super a heartbreaking thing. It's like, I want everyone to be able to pursue their dreams and do what they love. And, and it's not always possible. And, you know, I didn't come from a family of, of a lot of money or a lot of wealth or anything like that. So I, you know, had to always have a day job. I had to always fight for everything. I had to constantly save money. I was constantly in financial peril, like still am, but like starving artist. Um, Welcome to Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And really think about, like, do I want a family? Well, I want to make movies. Like, that's what I want to do. So right. if I do, that's something that's put on the back burner. Right. Um, but for me, I was like, there's nothing, like, I, I can't imagine what else I would be doing. Like, right. This is what I've wanted to do since I was little. Um, and this is a really fucking hard industry. So unless you want right. this with all your heart and soul, yeah. uh, maybe do something else. <laughs> no, it's true. It is. It is something you have to love. Yeah. If you, I always tell, you know, because I talk to screenwriting students a lot, and I always tell them, if you are trying to do this to make money, go be a CPA. Like, yes. you have to do this because you have to do this. Like, yes. Um, anyway, from your film school here on Dead for Filth to uh, more lighthearted things. Yeah. I happen to know about you and one of the reasons that uh, you know, obviously we're friends in real life, but uh, you you have connected a lot to episodes of Dead Dead for Filth and I know that you're a fan and I know that you really enjoy um, people like Peaches Christ and the Boulay yeah. Brothers and you've sort of like embraced recently the world of horror drag and yeah. I, I wanted to uh, say because you use uh, this pseudonym, or no, it's not a pseudonym, your real name is Chelsea, but you, your, your working name is Chelsea Stardust. Yes. And so I'm going to ask you a question because I know that you're a fan of these these drag queens that have been on the show that I've asked all of them. <laughs> uh, Chelsea Stardust, obviously Stardust is not your real name. It is not. Um, tell me about how you came to choose your drag name, Chelsea. <laughs> yes. Um, I also love hearing those, those stories, like Bitch Puddins, I really loved. Um, yeah, so... You know, it's something that because, you know, obviously I was using being an assistant and stuff using my real name. But until I started to create, I think being in the art world and uh, so Stardust particularly um, because I am a huge, obviously, David Bowie fan. Right. But the thing with Bowie is that he was always transforming and Mm -hmm. always changing. And uh, he was never he was always doing something different and he is such a fearless fucking artist that like um i admire him so much and and so i was like the thought of never being like not being scared of change and willing to embrace change like a lot of people like can't handle change like Mm -hmm. it's even hard for myself sometimes but i always wanted to be able to 
transform and to change and to sort of be open with whatever comes. That's why it's like not only doing short films, like doing theater, doing radio plays, doing feature films, doing horror, doing I'd love to do a sports movie one day, like to always be um, open to everything. And he was such like an open human too, like open minded. And um, so I was like thinking about the Ziggy Stardust character and also the notion of like, you know, uh, from dust we come, from dust we will return. Right. Um, because that's what's going to happen to all of us. So, For sure. uh, and, and um, also the idea of like, we're on a, like when I, whenever I'm really stoned and think about we're on a fucking planet floating <laughs> in the fucking universe. <laughs> like, uh, let's just be our best people and right. do our do everything we want to do um uh so using that so becoming chelsea stardust i was like this gives me a chance to be to really be the artist i want to be right and to just do the deep dives into all of that and also thinking about like so many people use like marilyn manson and rob zombie and zombie right. is not his real last name so right. it's like of the long island zombies yeah yeah, yeah right yeah, right yeah. right um and uh, even actors that change, you know, it's so funny when you really look into it. Marilyn Monroe, like people who have changed their names right. um, for various reasons. But I'm super into people who have like really cool names and then change it to something else cool. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm always like fascinated. I'm like, why did you decide in this moment? Like Declan McManus, who is Elvis Costello. <laughs> yes, I'm yes. like, Declan McManus is a really rad that name. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, uh, so that sort of it almost was like this is who I am as an artist. Right. Like that's, you know, and, and I, I thought about really officially changing my name. Right. Um, and that's something I'm still toying with, but it's sort of like, you know, person versus persona. Right. So, um, uh, but, but using that and that's what I, you know, all my movies are Chelsea Stardust, all my right. creative projects, like that's, that's right. who I am. And also you have to think of nowadays, you have to think about what's your brand. Right. Who are you? Um, the bigger picture of that too. And one of the things, as you know, uh, is a through line of the show is we do talk about otherness and uh, the relationship to horror or just kind of like how otherness embodies itself in the world of film. A lot of times with our guests, it's, it's usually with queerness. And of course, queerness means more than sexuality. Queerness is yeah. is a broader thing. But I also, you know, I'm, I'm a huge uh, fan and champion of, of the ladies working in, in, in the world of film. And so, uh, you know, I know that you have been in the industry a long time. And I just wanted to kind of get your perspective a little bit of the challenges of women in cinema. Yeah. Uh, because you certainly have been on an uphill battle. And I, I'm sure you have some things to say about it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the struggle is real. Um, <laughs> you know, it's so interesting thinking about how much it's changed in the last 10 years, in the last five years, in the last two years. Um, and I was having a conversation um, with a friend of mine, and he was like, uh, they aren't hiring. Like, you you can no longer get a job. Like, it's, it's very hard to get a job as a straight, middle-aged white man. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. I was <laughs> like... Oh, well, I guess, you know, yeah. things are changing. That's, you know, where we are right now. Um, because you've had all the jobs. But, you know, I 
I said, that's that's never going to totally die. I was like, don't worry. It's never going to totally die. Yeah. Like, it's going to be fine. But um, for me, it's, it's really interesting to look at companies I've met with and how many women directors they've hired like that's sort of the thing that I've been looking at recently is like production companies and who's actually hiring women versus talking about hiring women and there's a huge difference between you can talk about it all day right but until it's in the theaters or real right um but it's a struggle because um I I don't always I know it's sometimes it's hard to talk about because you can use it to your advantage, but uh, I don't want to be thought of as like, oh, we got to hire a female director. Let's hire this sure. person. I want to be thought of as a great director. Right. So despite my gender, but it's 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 really tough because now it's like that's what people are looking for. But I don't necessarily want to be a box for you to check, right. unintended or not. Ah. Um, but uh, I, I just want to be thought of because someone likes my talent my vision whatever right um but at the same time it you know we are in that time where we're using that like people are actually hiring women directors like and and seeking them out but it's like don't seek me out because you're trying to fill your diversity quota well and i think too i remember a long time ago uh i was on the road with mink stole um oh my god and mink and i were talking about outfest and She's a huge champion, of course, of LGBT cinema and uh, Outfest as a festival. But Mink had said something to the degree of, you know, she's like, I hope that someday the industry gets to the point where we don't necessarily need gay film festivals or female film festivals, that it's just film festivals. Film festivals yeah. She said, but the reason they exist is because major outlets are still kind of negligent. Yeah, they're to behind. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it is sort of nice to see the turnaround where, you know, there is more hiring and there's a more cognizant approach to that. And I think that, like, if it seems more pointed at the moment, it's just sort of like because they're correcting course. Yes. And I would rather that. Yes. Than, you know, people, like, kind of waiting to get in. Yeah, absolutely. Let, and it, let everyone in and then let their talent sort itself yes, out. Yeah, exactly. And, um, but, you know, you think of movies... And, and it's always interesting to see, you know, movies directed by men versus women. Um, and I'm a fan of, you know, both male directors and female directors. Right. But you look at something like American Psycho and, uh, you know, written by Bret Easton Ellis, but then screenplays written by women, directed by a woman. Um, and, and I will argue, I actually, I'm just so glad you brought this up because American Psycho, script by Guinevere Turner, yep. directed by Mary, Mary Heron. I think that the reason that movie works is because it was helmed by women. Because women yes. understood the inherent misogyny of Patrick Bateman that if a man had directed that movie, he would have totally missed the nuance. Yep. And that's why, like, all the things that people like about that movie, it's like women being like, no, you guys are awful, and we're going to show you why. Yes. Yeah, and it, it's, that's, and I, I watched, I actually watched the commentary for that um, when I was prepping for my feature, and uh, I was so fucking inspired, and it was so amazing. I also I also watched the commentary for Near Dark with Catherine Bigelow, mm. oh, who I just love so much. Um, and also someone who, you know, you look at her movies, and it's like, 
I think when I was younger, I had no idea that Point Break was directed by a woman because right. I think when when I was younger, normally I'd just assume, oh, action movies, it must be directed by a right. man. But then you see Point Break and K-19 and then, you and, you know, Hurt Locker. And, um, and they're kind of like the consummate action movies. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And she's so fucking badass and how she treats the material. Um, and uh, I think that that's it. And, and they talk about a lot, like how women tell stories versus how men tell stories. And um, but also at the same time, I I feel like sometimes they want to sort of pigeonhole us into, well, you're a woman, so you should be directing stories about women. Right. And it's like, well, that's American Psycho, like directing right. this story about me. Look how that how incredible right. that movie is. So. I said, no, like we shouldn't ever be scared to, you know, direct good stories. Can we just tell great stories and right. just see how different people tell different different t- takes on these great stories? So, um, but it has been really hard and it's been, you know, and I have friends who are at companies where they're, you know, trying to hire women, trying to hire women. And, you know, there's no excuse really for right. that to like not be a thing why is Um, that a challenge why is it yeah and but also at the same time like we don't want to direct shitty scripts either sure so it's like just because it's being offered to us well do i want to direct this you know um but uh but i didn't feel like with this movie um and our crew was i think more female than it was male but not on purpose i just picked whoever was best for the job but i i you know, we had a very well-rounded crew and everyone was really respectful and uh, really hardworking. But that's the other thing where it's like we have we're in a world now where you're actually like, oh, there are women cinematographers. Like, I don't know if I necessarily realized that when I was younger. Right. And my editor is a woman and I and like Scorsese's editor, Thelma Shoemaker, she's right. edit- she's a uh, female editor. So it's um, and he's worked with her for years forever. Yeah. 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 And uh, so I'm very thankful that I'm working at a time when we are starting to get the jobs. It's been a rough road to glory, but it's happening. And uh, I mean, even even like last year, I thought was an amazing year for female directors like um, Wonder Woman and Beguiled because we had, you know, Sofia Coppola and we had Catherine Bigelow with Detroit and um, huge, huge year for for female filmmakers um and i was like and ladybird of course right. i said i want every year to be like this and it's and it's just like working towards towards that and i and it's uh i think we're still have a lot to a lot a lot to, a lot to go but um a long way to go uh but i feel like companies are starting to like realize oh yeah maybe we should re-examine right and uh and start employing more women because the times they are changing. So <laughs> here, here. Well, you mentioned Lady Bird, Wonder Woman, Detroit, uh, and we've reached that magical hour uh, in the the show where I get to ask you this question: What have you watched recently that inspires you? Well, I had to make a list because I forget. Uh, <laughs> not, I don't forget. I just have so much on my fucking mind. I watched so many movies. Um, but so this year, some of the stuff that I've loved that I've seen, Annihilation. Right. I thought Alex Garland, obviously I referenced Ex Machina for my movie. Um, I really liked David Bruckner's The Ritual on Netflix right now. Yeah, The, the Ritual was really good. It kind of came out of nowhere and yeah. I really liked it. Yeah. And the, can we just take two seconds to talk about the monster? The design of that monster mm-hmm. was 
fucking amazing. I miss a good monster movie. Ugh, I know. Which is weird, though, because anytime I say a monster movie, I instantly, like, the image of Chud just appears in my <laughs> brain. And I don't know why, like, Chud is, like, my baseline monster. Uh, that's a question I need to, like, look in the mirror and ask myself, probably. Yeah. oh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, well, speaking of monster, I just saw A Quiet Place. Um, which I think comes out today. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm hearing great things. Yeah, I really, uh, you know, I have, it has a couple little logic issues, but it was so much fun. I had a really fun time watching it in the theater. I thought John Krasinski did an amazing right. job. And also for a movie that has, I think, five lines of dialogue, pretty, pretty awesome. I'm into that. Yeah, and again, all about sound, um, obviously. And... Uh, of course, Insidious 4 has a special place in my heart because I worked on it. Um, but sort of other, I'm trying to think other things I've seen recently that I really liked. Um, I just saw Good Time, even though that came out last year, and Killing right. of a Sacred Deer, which I thought was incredible. Um, uh, Super Dark Times. No one really talked about that, but I loved Super Dark Times. Super Dark Times was really good. I kind of was a late stage coming around to seeing it myself. Yeah. And I think that if I had seen it last year, it would have definitely been on my like year's Same. best list because I, I really, really liked it. Yeah, I loved it. And and I was like, why aren't more people talking? And I love, um, is it, was it uh, uh, Ben... Uh, Collins and Petrowski is that that's the I can never pronounce their names who who were behind Super Dark Times but um, I really like their their work and I actually knew them like back when I worked for Blumhouse but I also loved it I fucking loved it um, I thought it was uh, really great and I just started this sounds super pathetic but getting into Stephen King books mm -hmm. <laughs> because I read Carrie when I was in high school and then I just got so busy um, and I'm an assistant yeah, you have I have like no a time Stephen King book club don't you I do I do it's called the losers book club <laughs> um, and there's a group of 10 of us and a lot of people in our horror circle and we so what we do is we read um I started this book club because uh, I felt like my brain was dying because I was watching so many movies, but I was like, I'm really losing touch with what's going on in right. literature. Um, and I need to get back on that. And uh, so we read a Stephen King book every other month. And in the months in between, we read sort of uh, newer things. So like right. my best friend's exorcism right now, we're doing a head full of ghosts, um, meddling kids. We just read. So, so we just so Stephen King we just did Night Shift, right? Um, Misery we've read. Uh, I also read uh, Desperation and Joyland. Joyland was my one of my favorites. Joyland was great. Oh, I can't wait to see that movie made. But um, uh, or that book made into a movie. And but so we sort of go back and forth. And then also, so when we watch Misery, we watch the movie and talk about it. And Night Shift, we're watching like The Mangler and <laughs> That's Cat's a, uh... Eye. And, a bold choice. It is a bold choice. It's a very bold choice. We watch some. Uh, sometimes they come back, and I love sometimes they can come back. I liked it too. You know what? I love Tim Matheson. I don't know. Yes. Like I'm like the Tim Matheson super fan that like no <laughs> one ever knew existed. He was the voice of Johnny Quest. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and I, uh, I also loved Brawl in Cellblock '99. Okay, um, which was last year, and that's the guy who did. Uh, Zoller, uh, Craig Zoller, who did um, Bone Tomahawk, which oh. I fucking loved. That was at Beyond Fest, and so was Brawl in Soulbuck '99. But I, I used some, I referenced that movie in with my own movie because of how the fight scenes are shot in that in that film, and they're so uh, realistic. And of course, they had like months and months and months to rehearse that. But I wanted, I said, I want my feats. I, I don't want my fights to feel like Hollywood fights. I want them to feel like real fights, like that. Right. Um, 
And honestly, I'm like, I'm watching a ton of television. I'm a little bit behind in, in movies. I haven't seen the new Strangers. Um, but there's so, we're so, we have such an oversaturation of, of content that right. it's hard. Like, I think I'm watching eight different shows right now. Like, I'm forever behind on everything. Yeah. It's just, it's just hard. But I like, I fucking love Riverdale um, and Dark. And um, I just started the new season of Santa, oh, sorry, the new se- season of Santa Clarita Diet. Um Oh, I'm going through Tales from Tales from the Crypt for the first time ever. Tales from the Crypt is an amazing show. Yeah, yeah. I had never, so I didn't have, I didn't grow up with cable of any sort, so I didn't get to see that. Right. Um, and uh, we, have, my boyfriend had the first season, and I watched it, and I was like, this is amazing. I'd seen episodes here and there. Yeah. And the Crypt Keeper always scared me when I was little, so I'm now on the third season. Um, and it's fucking amazing. There's it's some really so great good. episodes. I love the hyper colors. I think yeah. like how colorful it oh, is. Oh yeah, just, yeah. That's so. Uh, oh, it's so great. Um, and also like End of the Fucking World. I really enjoyed. And I'm watching the only like, I think Barry is the only like non horror horror or genre thing I'm watching. But you just like gave a huge list of recommendations. People, yeah. you have a lot of catching up to do. Mindhunter, like there's so much. Uh, I really, I actually really like the new season of X-Files that just came out. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I watch a lot. I watch it too much. It's it's crazy. And yeah, watching movies and reading. It makes it sound like I don't do anything but right. sit at home and watch movies and TV shows and read books. But uh, I'm also in post on a movie, so I'm right. trying to do some shit. But you're very hyperactive in the world of work, and we know that yeah. in the way that there's always something. Yeah. So I have to ask, if you can talk about it, what's next? That's a great question. Um, what is next? So finishing up post on my movie. Um, I don't know when what the release situation is yet. I probably won't know until one month away in April, maybe May. I'll have a better idea. Um, mm-hmm. And but I just had a TV show optioned that I'm working on with my friend Michael Kennedy. And uh, so right now we're doing big practice pitching like getting our pitch document together and practicing and then we'll go out and pitch to a bunch of companies um and i'm also taking a bunch of meetings now it's like figuring out what's the next feature right so and there's a bunch of companies i'm talking to but the thing is is like a lot of people want to see the movie and i can't show the movie yet right so once the movie is done and i'm able to show it to some companies then i'll sort of see what's next in the feature world i'm attached to a bunch of things i've done a bunch of pitches for different movies um sort of the waiting game and then but my reps want to show my show my movie when the time comes to help get the next the next gig um and I'm really excited to to see what that's going to be. And then taking meetings and all that right. stuff. Well, I have no doubt whatever it is, it's going to be awesome. I hope so. <laughs> uh, where can people find you? So I'm actually, everything of mine is private except for Twitter. So you can find me on Twitter uh, at, uh, at Stardust Chelsea. And Chelsea is C-H-E-L-S-E-A. Um, none of this Y or I E business. Um, well, it's but, because we were born before that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and I'm on Instagram as I think as Chelsea Stardust, but I, it's all private. So right. um, uh, uh, unless you look interesting, I may not. I may decline the follow um, <laughs> because I keep it very. I keep it very private, and obviously right. my Facebook is very private. But um, Twitter, everything's out there. So right. <laughs> Twitter's the best way to way to follow me. I think. So before we head off into the night, do you have any final thoughts or word of words of wisdom for our listeners <laughs> um my you know it's funny i met with a girl yesterday 
um, who's who just directed her first short film. And she's been out here a year or two years, maybe mm-hmm. just moved out here. Um, and my my note to her was like, if this is what you want, never stop working towards it. And, you know, if this is what you want to do with your your heart and your soul, fucking do it, right. you know, because you just you never know what could happen. And uh, and save your money because <laughs> because it's a really uh, this is a hard life and you got to really want to do it. And it's yeah. not all the like glam that everyone thinks it is. It's it's a lot of long hours, uh, very little pay. Um, and uh, but then, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So um, but I'm so happy and honored that I get to got to be on this because it's like one of my favorite podcasts. It's so amazing. And obviously you're amazing. And I can't wait for us to work together on some things. I know. One of these days we'll make it happen. Chelsea, thank you so much for coming and for the kind words. And uh, I think that uh, you're just going to continue to rock the world of horror. Uh, I'm trying. And And thanks for letting me record this in the dark. Oh, yeah. We forgot to mention. So, Chelsea, in the long history of the show, I think, you know, 30 plus episodes in, was the first guest to request mood lighting. We're uh, (laughs) sitting here in in the dark studio with just like a few paper lamps. It's like we're the Midnight Society. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Thank you again. I would have expected no less from a glamorous creation such as chelsea stardust you are too kind please keep your eyes open for chelsea's feature on its way soon you can check out her short films in the world wide web now on uh, vimeo and vimeo chelsea stardust everything's on vimeo and uh you know if you also want an auditory play check out her her sh- uh christmas eve on earbud theater and uh just keep your eyes open for this amazing amazing person <laughs> thank you Thank you, Chelsea. This has been Dead for Filth. I'm Michael Verratti. Yours always in glam and gore. Good night and good luck. <laughs>